Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rhodes? Well, we're going, we don't need Rhodes. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome back to another episode of After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring and with me as always is... Phil Edwards. Hello, Phil. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. Are you okay? I'm doing well, thank you. Good stuff. Yeah, we got some fun movies to talk about tonight. Why don't you tell everybody what we're going to be delving into? We certainly have. We'll be talking about the 2004 disaster movie, The Day After Tomorrow. But first, we'll be looking at the 1992 film Sneakers, starring Sidney Poitier, Robert Redford, River Phoenix, Dan Aykroyd, David Strathairn, Mary McDonnell, and many more. Yes, quite a good cast in that film. Brilliant cast. So, Phil, before we go into the synopsis, I just want to see if I can uh, if I can blow your mind a little bit here. Did you notice in Sneakers there's a scene where on a television is playing Touch of Evil, which is a film we just talked about two episodes ago. We certainly did, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. And Duel, Dennis Weaver, yeah. That's right. And it was playing on a TV. There were, they played a good five or ten second clip of it in Sneakers. Did you catch that? Uh, didn't I miss that one? Well, okay, I'll have to go back and watch that again. There you go. So I, I think it's fairly early in the movie, but I thought that was pretty cool that clearly we are on some sort of, you know, weird path where everything connects. Yeah, we're on a journey. That's right. <laughs> into sight and sound. That's, that's right. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I like it. I like it when it all ties, yeah, ties it's, into it's pretty cool, isn't things. It? Also, it ties into last week's episode. Do tell. It ties into last week's episode where we were talking about war games. And uh, the script of Sneakers was written by Lawrence Lasker and Walter F. Parks who uh, came up with the idea for sneakers while they were doing research for war games. So there we go. Connects again. That's right. See that? We, we clearly, we have our finger on the pulse of, yeah. you know, what makes Hollywood tick. Yeah, and it's, uh, I'd like to say it was heavily researched and we planned it, but it's pure <laughs> happenstance. Yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't believe in heavy research. <laughs> yeah. We go, what film should we do next week? Right, right. Mm. Yeah, usually about two minutes before we start recording the <laughs> current episode. All right, so Phil, take us through Sneakers. Okay, then. Sneakers, we open in 1969. Uh, we see two people, Martin Bryce and Cosmo, two students hacking, hacking into computer systems to move money to various causes. Marty goes out for pizza, but while he's out... The police turn up and Cosmo is arrested. We then uh, move forward to 1992 and Martin Bryce, played by Robert Redford, it now goes by the name of Martin Bishop, and he runs a team of security specialists in San Francisco. Uh, Donald Creese, played by Sidney Poitier, former CIA. Darren Mother Roscoe, played by Dan Aykroyd, who's a conspiracy theorist and electronics technician. Carl Arbogast, a young tech genius, played by the late River Phoenix. And Erwin Whistler Emery, played by David Stratham, a blind phone freak. As far as uh, Martin's aware, Cosmo died in prison. He's approached by two NSA agents, Dick and Buddy, who ask him to recover a black box from mathematician Dr. Gunter Janek, and the project is called SeaTech Astronomy. They also know that Martin is actually Martin Bryce. Uh, Martin agrees to help, gets his former girlfriend Liz involved to help them out. After breaking down a few doors, they get the box, and while celebrating... Whistler finds out that it's, this box can break the encryption of any computer system. Therefore, it's quite a, quite a big thing that many people will want. And while, he's, while Whistler's working on it, Martin works out that SeaTech Astronomy is actually an anagram of too many secrets. Uh, Martin passes the box to Dick and Buddy, but he leaves quickly when Donald finds out that Yannick was killed. 
Martin is then kidnapped and brought face to face with Cosmo. Yep, Cosmo's still alive, and while in prison, he developed ties with organised crime, and he does all the tech side of things for them, sorts out the money, and has basically revolutionised the way they do business. And he wants the box to destroy all records of ownership, bank accounts, etc., and bring the world to its knees or free, however he justifies it. Uh, Martin doesn't join him. Cosmo uses the box to connect Bishop with Bryce, so uh, Martin can no longer hide. Uh, Cosmo drops Martin back off in San Francisco. Uh, with the help of Whistler, Martin figures out where he was taken. Turns out it was a toy company and they need to break in. They check out all the security. They get a voice print and pass card from an employee called Werner Brandis, played by Stephen Tobolowski. And that involves Liz going on a date with him, which is rather fun, funny. <laughs> yeah, it involves yeah. dim sum and pounding chicken breasts. <laughs> uh, the, the team break into Cosmo's office using various uh, technology, raising the temperature to defeat sensors and things like that. Uh, Werner suspects Liz and reports it to Cosmo, who locks down the building. He captures Marty in the act and again tries to convince Marty to join him. Marty refuses and gives him the box. The gang escape before Cosmo realises they switch the box. And then back at the HQ, uh, Martin and the team are surrounded by NSA agents led by Abbott, who is uh, played by James Earl Jones. Martin points out how important the secrecy of the boxes to the NSA as they could use it to spy on all the other agencies and so he strikes a deal. Uh, Abbott grants the various demands of the team. Martin gives them the box but he happens to have taken the main processor making the box useless but it means they can use it. Uh, the final scene is then a news report saying that the entire budget of the Republican National Committee is stolen while huge anonymous donations have been made to Amnesty International, Greenpeace and the United Negro College Fund. The end. Very nice. So uh, before we get into our endings, Phil, what did you uh, – I know we both went back and, and watched Sneakers. What did you think of it watching it now, you know, 20-some-odd years later after its release? I, I still think it worked really well. Yeah. It didn't it, – it didn't – it hasn't aged as much as I thought it would have. Right. Uh, compared to other films from the same time as well, it's uh, – I mean, obviously the technology. Yeah. They bounce the signal off the, the satellites and through different servers, and they have the old dial-up modem kind of set up. But, right. But apart from that, it's all – I think because they're dealing mainly with the code on the screens and all the technology, including the black box, it isn't anything fancy, flashing light, it's just microchips and wires and things like that. So it, it's, I think that's been for its benefits. It's, sure. It doesn't make it look dated. Right, right. Or, or as dated as it could be. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it overall too. I, I, I think it could have been a little shorter in retrospect. It's like just over two hours and I felt like they probably could have... Yeah, I trimmed it down a little bit. Yeah, but, true. Yeah, but overall, I still enjoyed it. And and as always, Robert Redford. I think we've mentioned Robert Redford in almost every episode of the podcast so far. Yeah, have you noticed I think that? You're right. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, this episode he's will be no different. I, uh, but he's he's fantastic <laughs> as always. But it is. It's just it's the cast they got together for it. Everybody is just the main characters all huge. I mean, you've got Ben Kingsley as well. Right. He's playing Cosmo. Uh, Donald Logue. Yeah, I was surprised yeah. to see him. I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't catch his name in the credits. So when he showed up with his long hair and his tuxedo, I was yeah. like, "Wow, that's Donald." Yeah, because I'm used to seeing him now in Gotham as a uh, bullet. Right, so, right. But it's yet yeah, great cast. Uh, it's a good story, and yeah, it's uh, it's aged. It's aged quite well. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, it was good watching it again. Indeed. So, Mike, then, what do you see happening the day after? 
All right. The events of the film. Well, so the way I see it, Agent Abbott is going to realize that Martin duped him with the box, you know, not having the processor in it. So he's also going to realize that the dispersion of the money from the Republican Party uh, to Greenpeace Amnesty and the UNCF is uh, is no coincidence. So the next day he goes back to Martin's office to confront him. uh, But Martin destroys the processor right in front of him, you know, because he basically wants to eliminate any chance that it'll ever be used again for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And. You know, Abbott's mad that he's been duped, but he deep down he's a good agent. He's a he's a real patriot, you know, and he's he's a you know, he's a law abiding guy and he realizes that it's probably better for the world's security if this chip doesn't exist anymore. So Yeah, I see that. He comes across as a good guy, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I think that's mainly because it's James Earl Jones. <laughs> well, right, that's, right. Uh, but it's uh, he comes across as a an honorable gentleman. Exactly. That's exactly it. So he, he threatens to arrest Martin, but it's kind of an empty threat. And he ultimately, he kind of decides to just let him go because, you know, he knows that Martin is right and it's going to lead to bad things. So uh, so he leaves Martin B uh, for the time being. So that's my day after. How about you? Okay. Well, I've got it. They'd all be checking at the safe, the, the, the safe, because even though the NSA were there and said that they could have all the things like clear up the record of Martin Bryce get that trip of Sidney Poitier's character and so on and so forth. Uh, it's, they're still going to want to know that they are safe because Cosmo's still out there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get killed or anything. Right. He's, he, he knows that he's been duped again. And that's, I suppose the only way they could guaranteed protection would be protective custody, but I can't see anything doing that. Right. Uh, so Martin decides to hide the chip. Uh, meanwhile, Cosmo has to talk to his mob bosses and convince them not to kill him because he'd been saying this thing that he could get would help them and... It'd be the the next phase in crime, but he's lost it, so can't do anything of these these things he's promised. Mm-hmm. But they, his bosses, who don't didn't really understand it anyway, they don't see any worth in pursuing it, and it's too risky with the NSA being involved. They don't want to they don't want to bring any more surveillance onto them. Uh, after the Republican Party money goes missing, uh, Agent Abbott of the NSA gets in touch with Martin and asks about the box. Martin's response is, "What box?" As it was in the film, right? And there's sort of Look at each other. Martin isn't bowing, bowing down, and it moves on from there. Uh, meanwhile, Carl River Phoenix's character calls Mary, who was the NSA agent who he got the number from. That was his one demand, right? Uh, and they go on a date because he moves fast. Yeah, he of wants course, to, he wants to do this. <laughs> of course. So that's what I've got. All right. I thought for a minute you were going to say that uh, Abbott calls Martin Bryce and, and tells him. Martin, I am your father. Oh, no. Uh, but but I'm glad you didn't go there. So. No, nah, that was going to push you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. So what do, you, what do you have then, Mike, for the immediate aftermath? All right. So um, Chris goes on. So like you had mentioned, at the, end of, um, at the end of the film, they all sort of put in these demands with the NSA, and, and yeah. Abbott kind of agrees to all of them. So in the immediate aftermath, Chris goes on vacation with his wife, um, you know, all around the world, as, as promised. And he, they yeah. end up um, buying a little villa in Tuscany, Italy, because they, they fall in love with it and they retire there Very nice. so they kind of get their nice happy ending yeah um mother gets his winnebago and goes off on a road trip across the united states uh arbogast goes out on the date with uh with mary and they bond over their love of 1980s saturday morning cartoons <laughs> nice uh, and they start a kind of a passionate geek love affair meanwhile martin whistler and arbogast uh well arbogast is still in the love affair but he also comes back to work with martin and whistler uh they go back to professional sneaking you know looking for flaws in company security systems yeah but martin is restless you know he's had his record cleared so he can do anything he wants and he wants to move on to something bigger and better uh but he doesn't know exactly what yet and uh and circumstances are going to happen soon that will change that for him we'll get into that shortly all right so how about you sounds good okay well i've got uh the team they'll find there's no sign of mob retribution so they go on with the life it's basically like an extended holiday for all of them 
as you said, uh, Donald Kreese goes on his holiday, goes to Tahiti, has a great time. Mother goes driving around the US and gets arrested and trying to break into Area 51. Right. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and, Ma- and Martin, for the first time in, his, in years, can relax as he's no longer looking over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He, can, he can become Martin Bryce again uh, because Agent Abbott was true to his word, cleared his record, gave him a fresh start. And he starts dating Liz again. Uh, she sees a difference now, now that he's not hiding, and things move on slowly from there. Carl and Mary are still seeing each other. She grounds him, helps him focus because he seemed all he was always a bit over the all over the place. Yeah. And uh, Liz continues teaching. Meanwhile, Whistler starts working on self-driving technology because, as we saw in his rescue attempt to try and get Martin from the uh, the toy company right. building, he right. has to he has to drive yep. the truck. With help, with guidance from Martin, and he does a slam bang job of it too. He certainly does. I do like that bit. It's for, it does yes. done really well. Yes, it was. They also have uh, long talks about what to do with the box, whether they should destroy it, use it for good, uh, or just hide it, and just in case they should need it. Donald Kreese can't condone using it, and he ends up leaving the team and retiring. And that's what I've got so far. All right. So we both had Crease retiring. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, no, also. Yes, forgot. And Cosmo, meanwhile, tries again to get away from the mob, but he's too valuable to them. And he works on getting revenge on Bryce and the team, but everything he tries is always foiled in a sort of like a comedy style. Right, right, right. <laughs> Very good. I like it. Uh, okay, then. So that's the immediate aftermath. What do you have for the long term? All right, so um, so things are going to get a little dark, but they're gonna they're gonna come out of it. Uh, so basically, uh, throughout the rest of the '90s, the team continues working together, with the exception of Kreese, because he's happily retired in Italy. Okay, Whistler returns to the group after his cross country trip, and uh, with Martin no longer worried about being able being caught by the government, uh, they're able to promote their business even more, and they become very successful at their whole, you know, security firm sneaking thing. Yeah. Fast forwarding a little bit to get to the, before we get to the dark stuff, Arbogast and Mary, uh, they get married, uh, and they start one of the very first podcasts in the 2000s, where they talk <laughs> about their Saturday morning cartoons that they love, and, and pop culture from the 80s in general, and it becomes a big hit for them. But then... 9-11 happens, and it affects the group dramatically. Oh, yeah. Mother leaves the group uh, and becomes a 9-11 truther. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Those yeah, are, I am. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are, you know, for people who aren't, those are people who believe and claim that the uh, United States government staged 9-11 um, in order to, I don't know, whatever their reasoning is. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so he becomes a truther and sort of goes off in that direction. But Martin is really affected by the effects of 9-11 because he feels like he's been wasting his time, you know, helping these big corporations, you know, protect their money uh, when he could have been doing something more noble that maybe would have helped prevent 9-11. So, so it affects him deeply. Oh, that's good that I can see that. Yeah, yeah so he, he takes some time. And thinks about it, and he he finally decides he knows what he needs to do. So he calls his twin brother, Nathan Muir, who works for the CIA, <laughs> has been known to uh, to participate in a spy game once in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uses his connections with the government to get set up as a consultant. And so, so Martin uses his tech hacking experience uh, to help improve the government's technology. Uh, and basically, he and Nathan go on to prevent several terrorist attacks. So even though Martin recognizes that he's now working for the government that he once you know, strived to, to undermine, yeah. he's at peace knowing that he's saving lives and changing the world for the better. Oh, very good. There you go. Wow, that's uh, that's end up doing big things. I got yeah, and I got yeah. I managed to get a double whammy of Redford in that. Yeah, one. that's good. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Oh, I like that. <laughs> okay, 
Was that was that everyone then? Uh, yeah, that's everyone. I, I everyone I followed up on. I you know honestly, I didn't have much for Whistler because I couldn't come up with anything interesting for him. So I sort of just you know yeah. forgot about him. Yeah, I think yeah, he <laughs> probably just carry carry on. He was just happy, right. Just working, wasn't he doing the job? I, I I toyed with the idea of having you know because he had asked the NSA for world peace. That was his his big ask at the end, <laughs> and I I thought of being like, well, somehow they bring about world peace, but. That got a little too fantastical, even for me. So yeah. I just I yeah. just left Whistler alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what do you got? I've got okay. So Martin, he ends up staying with Liz. Uh, they have a great relationship. He's a changed man now that it's all. He's 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 always relaxed, and the business, the business is doing really well. The team come and go, but they always return. They go off to do other things. They come back. He brings in a few other people. It gets a little bit bigger, but he tries to keep it small so we can, you know, keep keep a handle on everything. But they do good work. And they, uh, they're quite successful. Uh, Donald Crease, he retired, but he still acts as a consultant. He doesn't do any field work, but if uh, Martin calls up for advice, he helps him out. Whistler's self-drive technology is eventually picked up by Elon Musk <laughs> right. and becomes part of Tesla. Uh, and Mother meets up with a, a trio of other conspiracy theorists who go by the name of the Lone, the Gun. Lone Gunman. Yep. <laughs> yes. So they, Excellent. they do all that and they investigate all these strange kind of I don't know how you could say, maybe X-Files or something weird like right. that. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the NSA, every, every now and again, Agent Abbott gets in touch with uh, Martin Bryce. And he go, he's always asking, saying, have you got the box? And it's always, what box? Right. But then uh, Abbott says, keeps approaching him and asks him on occasion to do certain things that only uh, Martin and his team can do. Uh, as it says at the start of the film, Martin Bryce can keep secrets and is, has dabbled in the slightly illegal things. Uh, so he does those kind of things for the NSA that they can't normally do. And, you know, they go up to all sorts of kind of wacky hijinks and adventures, as we saw in Sneakers. Uh, but this time they have a more substantial budget whenever they do those kind of jobs. Meanwhile, Cosmo's revenge attempts become an embarrassment to himself and the mob. And he has moved to a secure location where he's basically kept under house arrest by the mob and deals with everything online. Uh, and that's the end. All right. I like it. It sort of becomes like like Sneakers the series almost, like a yeah, like yeah. a comedy adventure show, you know? Yeah, they do all that kind of thing. Yeah, I could just see them just, just trying to keep it in the same vein as the film. Right, right. Yeah. Well, listen, when we make our millions from the podcast, uh, and you can send donations to us at – no. Um, when we make our millions, <laughs> we can finance the Sneakers TV series, and we'll, uh, we'll see if we can get that going. Yeah, because it's – I don't think there's been anything. I know they do all like tech shows and things. Yeah, but, but nothing with that. It's all very serious, like CSI Cyber and whatnot. There's no yeah. like like a really fun kind of hacking adventure show where they could kind of travel around the world and do fun stuff. They don't really. Yeah. There isn't really a show like that out there. So, but listen, you know, Redford takes my calls. I mean, I'm on his speed dial, so you know, I'll give him a ring and see if he wants to do it. Yeah, well, I know you always have brunch with him, yeah, things like that. So I've heard of them. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if only. <laughs> so got got a few facts about the film yes, as well. Please share. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't the first time that River Phoenix and Sidney Poitier were together because they featured in 1988's Little Nikita. Yes. Also, in the opening scene where we see the young Martin and Cosmo hacking into the computer systems, I think the building was the same as the Hill Valley clock tower from Back to the Future. Really? Or looked, it looked very like it anyway. I don't know if it was the same one. Yeah, I didn't catch that. I'll have to go back and take a look at it and see. But one thing I did like was uh, the fact that Robert Redford's character is called Martin Bishop. Well, that's his... Uh, that's his the name he gives himself after the, the event. Right. Uh, in Three Days of the Condor, which features Robert Redford, mm-hmm. which involves him going out for to get some coffee, and while the rest of his team all kill the CIA agents, all killed in this building, the last two names of the casualties on the list from the CIA building are Martin and Bishop. Really? That's interesting. That can't be a coincidence. I have to imagine. Yeah, they, they must have. 
they must have picked up on that. They have must. Well, yeah, especially with the parallel of him being out getting yeah. food, you know. That's it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. that's interesting. I like that. And another, there's another throwback to one of uh, another Robert Redford film, and the jacket he wears, like the baseball jacket, mm-hmm. is the one he wore in the. The 1984 film The Natural, which is an amazing film. Yeah, it's a brilliant film. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's uh, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that. You know, I just realized what I did realize though is that uh, if we ever get tired of calling this after the ending, we can just turn it into the Robert Redford podcast because apparently yeah. we're we're all about all the, the Redford films here. Seem to be connected. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and and uh, one other thing, just about Cosmo, mm-hmm. his appearance and name are based on the club owner Cosmo Vitelli, who was in John Cassavetes' The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Ah, okay. Which I thought that was a nice little nod to that film as well. Absolutely. And finally. The director, Phil Alden Robinson, also directed Field of Dreams, which is another brilliant film. Yes, it is. Which I love. And they both have a similar kind of feel to it. Right. And also both feature James Earl Jones. Yeah, Field of Dreams is, of course, it's a classic. And you know what, Phil, you've just given me an idea because baseball season is starting here in the United States uh, any okay. any day now. I couldn't tell you what day because I am not a baseball fan. <laughs> um, but you know what I am? I'm a huge baseball movie fan. Yeah, me too. It's sad. Yeah, I don't really, well, being in England, I don't really follow the game. I've, right. I've been to one baseball game and had to leave early because I didn't realize how long they went on for. But, <laughs> they do go on for but, a long time. But I do really like baseball uh, movies. I do too. It's one of my favorite genres, even though I don't care for baseball at all. But anyway, because baseball is going to be starting here in the U.S., why don't we do a themed episode? We just mentioned two great movies, The Natural and Field of Dreams, okay. neither of which have sequels. So why don't we do uh, – for next week's episode, we'll do The Natural and Field of Dreams as our as our baseball-themed episode. How's that sound? That works for me. Sounds like a good idea. And also we'll carry right. on the theme of Robert Redford. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yet another Redford film. All right. So – after after we do um, after we do the natural, we'll put a moratorium on any Redford films yeah, for at least a couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although although I will mention that if anybody out there is annoyed because we're doing too much Redford, then we need to have words because Redford is the greatest. So there really should never be a complaint about too much Redford. But anyway, <laughs> all right. So um, excellent. Okay, so we've got next week's set. And uh, anything else we want to talk about sneakers before we move on to day after tomorrow? I think that's all apart from I did like when they're working out the. Uh, what Tech Astronomy stands for, what they went through, it was Monterey's Coast, My Socrates Note, and Cootie's Rat Seaman. Yeah, that was, that was which, pretty <laughs> funny, I thought. Uh, yeah, the only, you must have had some fun coming up with that. I agree. The thing, that, the thing that I will say about that scene, though, is when they finally worked it out, I was expecting something a little more weighty than too many secrets i kind of thought yeah. like i was like really what does that tell you actually yeah. nothing <laughs> you know what i mean I yeah was kinda that's, like, that's true uh, i was hoping it was going to be something a little more substantial like somebody's name <laughs> like oh it's such and such a person you know or too many secrets i was like well that's a bit of a stretch it is a bit vague isn't it yeah it's like they thought of this great idea like oh sea tech astronomy will stand for something but what and then they didn't know what to make it so they kind of had to like they probably did have a scrabble set and were working out behind the scenes or something right right exactly <laughs> so but anyway that, that was a fun scene nonetheless i just thought that too many secrets could have been a little more impressive so <laughs> all right well good so there you go there's sneakers 1992 it's a fun film uh definitely worth checking out it is not on streaming um i mean you can you can rent it it's not on any of the free streaming sites yeah it's not on any of the ones over here either, right so. but it's it's definitely worth checking out if you have the time so what's next Next up, we have The Day After Tomorrow, which I'd like to remind our listeners comes from a listener suggestion, thanks to uh, the friend of the show, Mike Nichter, who suggested The Day After Tomorrow. So that is why we have chosen to do that film today. Oh, he put it on the Facebook page, didn't he? That's right. He did. And you can do the same if you're listening. Go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash after the ending podcast. Leave us your suggestions for future episodes. Okay. So before we talk about The Day After, The Day After Tomorrow, (laughs) right? (laughs) uh, take us through the events of the film. All right. That sounds good. Okay. So 
The Day After Tomorrow is a 2004 disaster film written and directed by Roland Emmerich, who is basically the 20th century master of disaster. Uh, it, star- <laughs> it stars uh, yeah. Jake. Let's destroy the world again. Right, exactly. And you know what? I love his films. I'm not going to lie. I really enjoy them because I'm, I'm a huge fan of disaster movies. So Yeah, the, 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 it's all fun disaster kind of things, isn't it? Right, exactly. So, so I, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Dennis Quaid. And long story short, uh, paleoclimatologist Jack Hall becomes convinced that the world is going to suffer a second ice age sometime next in the next several years. But it happens much quicker than that, basically in a matter of minutes. With, uh, yeah, very quickly, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Three gigantic hurricanes forming over Canada, Siberia, and Scotland that have eyes with temperatures at negative 150 degrees, which will basically freeze instantly anything that they come in contact with. But it does take its time moving sometimes. Right. Yeah, it's, they have enough time to outrun it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the science of the movie is clearly not its strong point. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. but I don't think it was really meant to be. So no, it's just yeah, it's just watch things get destroyed. Right, exactly. Um, so Jack's son Sam, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, is in New York City visiting for an academic event when the freak weather hits. Um, a massive tidal wave floods New York, and then the ice wave starts to freeze everything. Sam and his friends get stuck in the frozen New York Public Library, the big famous one from Ghostbusters and all that. And meanwhile, the U.S. orders the evacuation of the country, but Jack goes to save Sam. So Sam and Jack both have to venture outside while trying to survive for convoluted reasons I'll skip here. But they both survive some some very harrowing circumstances. Eventually they reunite and discover that New York is basically a loss, having a temperature of negative 98 degrees. That's cold. Yes, it is. It's a little colder than I like. <laughs> and so finally the president sends in rescue helicopters for them and the movie ends uh, with most of the northern hemisphere completely frozen uh, and covered in ice in a new ice age. Yep. So there you go. Now, um, interestingly, you know, this is not a film that people tend to remember fondly. Um, Critics were not kind to it. It certainly isn't a film that you hear in the pop culture conversation a lot. Yeah. But it did gross $186 million domestically and uh, over half a billion dollars worldwide. So, it, you know, it was a, it was a hit. Well, I'd, I'd watched it again for the second time yeah. today yeah. during the bank holiday. And it was a perfect bank holiday afternoon kind of movie. Just put it on. You don't have to think very much about it. Exactly. And it's it's got big big scenes, big things happening. And a little bit of, you know, the human elements, but it's it just passes the time. Yeah, yeah. It's very it's very much what Roland Emmerich does. I mean, if you you know you yeah. look at his movies like, you know, Independence Day and two thousand and twelve and you know, they're all movies I really enjoy and they're all you know, they're all kind of good and and terrible in their own right. Yeah, you know. That's a good way of putting it. Um but they're you know, but they're fun and they're they're really I mean I, I just I don't think you can ever look at a disaster film too critically. They're really meant to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to present, you know, giant yeah. special effects laden scenes of the world being destroyed. And, you know, either you like that or you don't. And the people just happen to be there, just caught in the crossfire. <laughs> right. It doesn't really matter what they do. It's all about the special effects, as you say. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a half dozen, you know, B to A list celebrities are stuck in the world ending circumstances and, and they have to survive. And most of them usually do. So. And also, also deliver some dialogue, which is just, as, oh, there was a bit when Dennis Quaid he's doing it all the scientists are talking about it and he's talking oh. <laughs> uh, but what, what I did find out though reading up on the, uh, the film they uh, wanted consultation by NASA scientists mm-hmm. they requested that but before filming began 
but NASA said uh, events in the film were too ridiculous and denied the request. Right. Um, they also sent a memo to all employees of NASA stating they were not allowed to comment on the film. Really? Apparently so, apparently. That's funny. If, I hope that's true because wow. uh, yeah. I quite like that. Yeah, I do too. And, uh, but <laughs> scientists who did preview the film said it was enjoyable nonsense. Right. Uh, yeah, and I, I, you know... Which is, I think, what we were just saying. Really. Right. I think that the, the prevailing opinion in the scientific community was that it, the, the science behind it was ridiculous, but it did shed some light on the climate change problem and that that was yes. a good thing even if the events of the film were clearly you know clearly fantastical so yeah and oh and emmerich did pay two hundred thousand dollars from his own pocket to make the whole film carbon neutral well, there you go see i thought that was very good of him absolutely i mean if you're going to make a film like that with that kind of message it's good to you know to to, yeah. to walk the walk not just talk the talk you know oh yes indeed phil tell us about your day after day after tomorrow day after <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, the day after, the day after, the day after, <laughs> uh, we have the main characters just basically getting somewhere safe. We've seen them in the cold, so they're going to be meeting up with uh, probably heading off to Mexico, uh, where Sam's mum, I think, was. was that it was Sam's mum, wasn't it, the doctor? I believe so. Yeah. There'll be rescue missions taking place in New York City and other cities in the Northern Hemisphere because you see at the end there were other survivors. They were up on like the roof of the skyscrapers. Yeah. Plans would also be made to try and get the astronauts down safely because we see. We kept, we kept seeing uh, astronauts up in the space station. Or if we can't get them down, at least get them restocked with food. As it, uh, What they are doing up there is valuable scientific insights because they can see the whole globe and what's going on. Uh, and also the countries would have to start getting used to the huge influx of refugees, which seems to be quite topical at the moment. Yeah. So, so that's what I've got so far. All right. Makes sense. Okay, then, Mike. So why, what do you see happening the day after the day after? Well, it's tomorrow, um, <laughs> as, the, as the title might imply. And... So uh, Jack and Sam are rescued by the helicopters, of course, and and and, and Laura, Sam's girlfriend, as well. Uh, they're brought to the new site of the government headquarters, which is down in Mexico. The president wants to meet with Jack and find out if there's any chance that the northern U.S. will ever be habitable again. And so they have a meeting, and Jack tells them that basically it would take another completely unpredictable weather change, and there's just no way to know for sure. So in the meantime, Jack is treated kind of like a hero. Sam and Laura are able to relax and rest while Laura recovers. So that's where we're at just in, in the the day after the day after or, okay, or just tomorrow for short uh, yeah. how about your immediate <laughs> aftermath okay the immediate aftermath i've got uh, jack as similar to you he becomes an advisor to the president because he was uh, he knew what was going on everything he, he was saying basically did happen uh, he'd also be involved in setting up and coordinating a global monitoring network to keep an eye on the the planet and the, the weather conditions and they'd have to get the sensors set up again because at the start of the film you see they've got things in the ocean monitoring the temperature. I'm sure some of them would still be there but they'd have to find a way to talk to them again. Right. Sam would be helping his dad when he's not with Laura. Alternative energy sources would be getting implemented. Uh, mankind has seen what it can do to the planet and I think that's the events that did happen in the film might be the thing which finally got everybody going, oh yeah, we've, we sort of need to work together. We're we're all alone on this little tiny blue speck in space, so right. let's make sure we don't kill all ourselves and destroy the planet. Also, though, uh, a religion starts springing up about the Great Freeze, as they call it, yeah. uh, and they all decide, all the people who start believing in this Great Freeze uh, all decide to head north and uh, luckily don't really bother the rest of the world. Hmm. But there's a steady trickle of people to the north into the, the, the deep cold. Very interesting. I'm curious to see where that's going to go. Yeah, and uh, meanwhile, as long as people are... Fed and clothed and everything like this. Money, what money they can is getting pushed into science projects to try and develop the different uh, 
energy technology, space technology, things like this, whatever they can do to ensure the survival of the human race. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. I'm curious. I'm curious, Phil. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have for the immediate aftermath? All right. So for the immediate aftermath, basically after the weather settles down, the U.S. government uh, relocates back to the U.S. because they obviously don't want to hang out in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, Nothing against Mexico. It's just that, you know, they're not in their own country. They want to get back to the U.S. Everything has changed. Uh, The U.S. capital is now in Orlando. The government sets up shop in... (laughs) Uh, I know, right? The government – wait, it gets better. The uh, the government sets up shop in Disney World wow. because they have the necessary technology, infrastructure, and security measures in place for the government to function out of. I like to picture that the new White House is inside the big Epcot ball, you know, that big silver dome at Epcot. Whoa, that's awesome. I think awesome. that would be like the new White House, you know? <laughs> you know, they have all the like the tunnels and stuff that the employees go through and yeah, all yeah. that stuff. So, um, wow. Yeah. So okay. uh, meanwhile, only about 12 states in the country are still habitable. So the U.S. begins the process of trying to – to move all the U.S. refugees back into them. Texas takes the biggest hit, you know, the biggest influx of refugees because it's, you know, it's the biggest state and it's the most wide open. There's a lot of open land that they can house people on temporarily. The economy of the country is in ruins uh, and the U.S. has to receive aid from other countries uh, of the world as opposed to giving it for a change. And even though Scotland and Siberia were also devastated, um, Siberia was largely uninhabited and Scotland uh, is a much smaller country. So it was a lot easier to relocate the survivors from that country. Uh, There wasn't nearly as many of them as, you know, the entire U.S. population. So Jack takes a position as a leading scientist with the U.S. government, and Sam decides to follow in his dad's footsteps. We know he's a smart kid, so he basically goes to work with his dad and starts learning as much as he can about science and the environment. And uh, that's where we'll leave it for now. So uh, how about you? How about your long term? Okay, long term. The world is a more peaceful place. Uh, The fact there's less people, so many people were killed, means that the loss of resources, you know, from the, the Great Freeze covering various places where you could grow farm crops and things. But the loss of people means the loss of resources isn't felt as much as initially thought. And governments are changing the way they're run. There's lots more common sense, basically, Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure, you know, mankind's going to survive. There's obviously blips now and then with people not happy or people trying to push things and get, get their own way. But on the whole, everybody works together. Laura ends up working for NASA because the long term plan is to make sure that mankind survives and they've seen what could happen. They want to have more more options, have different colonies maybe in different places. It's all long-term. You know it's not going to happen for the next, you know, 50, 100 years. But as we saw in the film, these things which they thought were going to take 100 years can just happen just like that. So right. that's what she's working on. But they also start developing an undersea colony uh, prototype as a way of expanding and also finding new so- uh, sources of food and what have you. But also it's 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 way of learning how to cope in these hostile conditions you know, the best way of insulation, things like that. Right. Uh, meanwhile, Sam helps develop a system where ice could be used in the construction of solar panels, mm. uh, meaning huge areas could capture energy. Uh, as the science is a bit sh- shoddy in the uh, in the film, I thought, you know, it doesn't really matter how this science <laughs> would work out. <laughs> That's right. That's, that's, we don't need to know how ice can yeah. collect solar energy. We just need to know that it can. So I just thought it'd be quite good. You just have like huge ice banks, which are just collecting energy. Sure. Uh, meanwhile, Professor Jack Hall, he sets up a global organization that monitors the atmosphere and advises countries how to fi- uh, on how to help fix the planet. One of the main proposals put forward is called the Frank Harris Initiative after his friend who sacrificed himself uh-huh. so that he could uh, help get uh, Sam. And meanwhile, the children of the Great Frost have been growing in number. And over the years, they begin experimenting on themselves. They've had lots of genetic science people there doing all sorts of things. So they experiment on themselves to survive the cold. And they believe the Great Frost will return. And they 
start calling themselves the genetically altered people White Walkers. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> I like it. And uh, that's it goes on. So mankind is trying its best, and that's how I see it. All right. Yeah. All right. I like it. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> winter is coming. Yes. Uh, I guess yeah. in this case, Again. winter has already come. So yeah. Very cool. So maybe maybe Game of Thrones is set far, far in our future. That is certainly a possibility. Yeah. You never know. There you go. <laughs> awesome. And... Uh, what about your long term? All right. So uh, long term, the U.S. muddles by, but it's not easy. Uh, you know, habitable areas are few and far between. Uh, the country is overcrowded in the areas that are populated. Uh, weather continues to destabilize. And over the course of the next few decades, the U.S. becomes basically a near wasteland. New York unfreezes and suffers from a heat wave. Food is scarce. Pollution is rampant. Uh, 20 years or so after the events of the day after tomorrow, uh, Jack dies just from natural causes, and Sam takes over as the head scientist for the U.S. government. I don't know if that's the official title. I'm sure there's something more important sounding than head scientist. But... Well, the head scientist, it says, says everything you need to know. <laughs> right, exactly. So I am head scientist. Right, right. So uh, he takes over as the head scientist for the U.S., uh, and he realizes that the U.S. is starting to run short of food. Um, so he turns all of his energy to feeding the population, and uh, eventually he stumbles across a new form of food that has an incredible renewable source of protein regardless of weather conditions. So he forms a government subsidy corporation to begin manufacturing it. Where's this going? The name of the new superfood? I think I know where it's going. Soylent Green. Soylent Green. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, excellent. Fade to black. <laughs> yeah, very good. So, yeah, so, uh, so there you have it. And if you don't know what Soylent Green is, I'm not even going to tell you. Go look it up. It's a great movie movie and uh it's a lot of it's a lot of fun and and charlton heston yep yeah edward g robinson i mean there's yeah. great people in it and and of course a great twist ending that most people know by now but uh if you don't know it go discover it for yourself it's a lot this of is fun. one thing we won't spoil right exactly so <laughs> although that's a, that's a future episode for sure we'll have to do with yeah, yeah yeah uh, i also had a postscript i thought about uh similar to you where you know hundreds of years in the future you know the the world is mostly covered in ice and um there's, you know, some civilizations here and there. And there's these two sisters named Anna and Elsa. <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, sorry, couldn't resist. Um, so anyway, so there you go. So that's my uh, that's my long term. No, so I, I liked all the endings for the both films there. Yeah, right? They were fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both, both films are just fun ones to watch. They're not going to change the world in any way, but worth watching. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I mean, obviously, typically, we mostly, I think, will will lean towards films that we like on this show. Although Big Lebowski, yeah. notwithstanding, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, both of these films are just they're good, fun films. They're a product of their time, but they're very enjoyable. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, like you said, it's kind of a good way to kill a couple hours. Won't tax your brains yeah. too much, you know. Because I, m- I must admit, I wasn't really looking forward to watching the day after tomorrow again. Oh, really? Uh, but. Uh, I, I I quite enjoyed it to be honest this time. The first time <laughs> yeah. I think I was just just going, oh, this is stupid. That wouldn't happen. Blah blah blah. Right. So uh, having that and already knowing that, I just went in and watched it and yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, you know, there's just some movies. I think you just have to check your brain at the door and just enjoy them for what they are. And, and I think disaster movies are definitely that kind of thing. And that's maybe that's why I love them so much. I know people always every time a new disaster movie comes out, there's always critics or or people on the internet who are saying, you know, like, oh, that wouldn't happen. That's so unrealistic. You know, yeah. the Rock can't save California by himself. Whatever, you know, whatever. But I don't care because that's not what I watch those films for. You know, yeah. Um, they follow a very tried and true formula, and it's a formula that I love. So you know, it's. Uh, 
they're good. They're good movies to watch, and I, I enjoy them. Yeah, and I think there's going to be disaster movies every few years. Oh, it just seems the way it's going. Yeah, yeah I think that's a it's a it's a genre that's never going to go anywhere because typically mm-hmm. they tend to perform well. For one, you know, they, they, they yeah. make money, and uh, you know, they're they're generally crowd pleasers, even if they're not critical darlings. But it doesn't matter because they make their money back. So who cares? It's all, it's all about the spectacle, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But okay, so we got movie news though. There's been. Big events over the past week. There was a big sequel. Yeah. That lots of people have been waiting for. Yes. People were very excited. Yes. There's been lots of build-up to it. There's been all TV spots, trailers, posters. Oh, it's been amazing. Yeah. Big names involved. And we, you know what I'm talking about, though, don't you, Mike? Of, of course. We both went and saw my big, fat Greek wedding, too, this weekend. So just so we could talk about it on this show. No. And I don't know about you, Phil. Personally, I was... No. no. What? No, Mike. It wasn't... What? Not we're not well, talking not the, about my big fat Greek wedding too. No, no, not that one. Well, no. What are you talking about then? The other, the other big sequel film. You know, come on. I shouldn't have to tell you. Come on. You know, films. Come on. Oh yes, that one. <laughs> yeah. Batman versus <laughs> Superman. Right, right. All right. I guess we'll save our my big fat Greek wedding two talk for uh, another episode. <laughs> but uh, yes, Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice opened this weekend. Yes. Uh, and and I just want I'm going to toot my own horn for a minute. There was a lot of box office prognostications about how it would do, and uh, I predicted between 160 and 180 million, and I think its total was what 164, 166, something like something that. Like yeah, around about so, that. I'm going to say I was I was right on top of that one. Oh, well done, yeah. All right, so anyway, uh, all kidding aside, we did both go see the film just so we could talk about it. Well, not just so we could talk about it. I mean, I wanted to see it. But, um, yeah, me too. Uh, what did you think, Phil? Well, I, I'd read some reviews beforehand, and as you probably know, the majority of reviews weren't very favorable. Right. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> probably, it's been a long time since I've seen a film savaged as badly as this yeah, one. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was bizarre. Yeah. Okay, well, first of all, Zack Snyder. I like, I like 300. Mm-hmm. I like his visual style. Yeah, uh, you know, within reason. Right. Too much. Sometimes he does the slow motion thing a bit too much. But uh, Watchmen, I really enjoyed, even mm-hmm. though that got slated. Yep. Uh, and Man of, Man of Steel, I I quite I really enjoyed that one as well. I thought that was a, it was good. The ending was a bit. But, right. Uh, anyway, but uh, Batman versus Superman. I don't know. I enjoyed bits of it, but I, f- mm-hmm. I felt it was a bit too, a bit messy and a little bit boring in places. And there was. Two, there was like three or four stories and things going on, and just seemed too much and too muddled in places. Right. But but there were a few bits that I really enjoyed. A few, the whole dawn of justice where you saw the little the members of the Justice League, mm-hmm. you know, the little snippets here and there. Quite like that. Wonder Woman. Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman was, I thought she was brilliant whenever she was on. Exactly. I, lo- I loved the big smile on her face when she was fighting. Yes. And uh, probably I enjoyed it a little bit more than I would have if I hadn't read all the bad reviews. I right. Suppose. Right. Yeah. I, I have to say, um, you know, as I think we talked about in an earlier episode, I, I, I really liked the first half of Man of Steel and I hated the second yeah. half. And yeah. Um, yeah, I, I believe my exact words were I just wanted it not to suck. And yeah. um, and then I saw the reviews that were, you know, just I didn't read all the reviews beforehand. I just saw the headlines, which were, of course, just ripping it to pieces. And so I went into it pretty much expecting the worst. And I think that's kind of the strategy if you haven't seen it yet. Just go in expecting to hate it because I actually – Kind of liked it. I, I have to say, I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to, um, which is not exactly glowing yeah. praise. No, it's not what they really want for the big, big blockbuster. But yeah. <laughs> right, it's not going to be on the poster. Um, but it, you know, it's um, it's a very flawed film. W- lots and lots of flaws, without a doubt. But 
I kind of enjoyed it. I thought, you know, here's the thing. I think when when it came down to it, you know, the last hour or so, I, I, I was thinking to myself, this is just a kind of proper big scale, epic superhero explosion of special effects on the big screen. And I kind of enjoyed that. You know, I yeah. thought the Batman Superman fight was overall pretty good. I thought that the, the 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 doomsday fight with the three of them at the end was fantastic. It was it was much more coherent than what was going on in Man of Steel for me. That's that's true. Yeah, I, th- I did feel the fight was a little bit boring because it was just somebody's going to hit him, then this is going to he's going to hit him. But it's, it's basically like in the comic book, so it's the same kind of thing. But as you say, it was a lot more coherent. You knew where people were in the situation and how things were going right, on. Right, and so I made you know, a bit more yeah, sense. and I liked the way the three of them kind of. We're still sort of solo, but still kind of working together at the same time. I mean, there there are a million problems with the film for sure. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll try and stay from any particular spoilers. But if you haven't seen the film yet and you're worried about spoilers, you may want to turn the volume down for the next couple minutes. But, um, you know, there's a lot of flaws in the film. You know, the way Batman sort of comes around to, to Superman is a bit, I think, abrupt. Yeah, and it's a bit it's a bit cliche as well. But, I mean, that's comic book things always have the cliche in as well, so I right. can't really argue that. But Right. I think my biggest problem with the film actually was was Jesse Eisenberg. I didn't really care for the way he portrayed Lex Luthor. Yeah, but to me, I, I actually didn't – because people have been saying they couldn't stand his portrayal. But I was looking at it more because he kept going on about his father. And I know he always has issues anyway, Lex Luthor, with his father. Right. But I was sort of lo- almost looking at it like the father he was talking about was like the Lex Luthor that we're used to from the comic books. Yeah, that's exactly how I took and, it too. And he's the, he's the next generation. He's like third generation. Right. He's like the young, spoiled, I've come into a fortune yeah. and I'm brilliant, you know. Um, but, but yeah. you know, it, I mean, I definitely that I kind of took the same thing away from it. Still not my favorite portrayal of Lex Luthor, you know. Yeah. it's the, the I don't know why they can't get him like they do in the, like the anime series yeah yeah i don't know and the comic is weird but also it's like with batman killing people there was a whole hoo-ha with the man of steel with with superman killing zod right and then in this one you've got batman blowing stuff up and killing people yeah it was interesting you know like i tried to keep track of that i was like how many people are actually dying at batman's hands and you know they they do sort of stop short of showing anyone actually dying in a way, do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, there's definitely some things where you're like, I don't think anybody could survive that. Yeah, that's that's. It just seemed a bit. I know he's meant to be jaded, and you know, is like his war on crime hasn't really changed anything. Right. It just seemed again. It's. I don't know what it is with a. It's David Goyer, isn't yeah. it, and Zack yeah. Snyder? I, I don't know why they have this. They can't do what Marvel do, where any changes that need to be made, they still keep the core of the character there. It's just. It's just almost like they. They go well. We we like the character. We know these characters are popular, but we want to make them. You know, cool. So we're going to do this. We're going to change this. Right. Even the thing with when they had Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, he, yeah. He's meant to be the photographer at the start. Right. And then it turns out he works for the CIA, and he then, spoiler alert, he gets shot and killed. And I was reading an interview with Zack Snyder, and he was saying, "Well, we didn't have any. You know, there's no no place in the story for Jimmy Olsen. So we thought we'd mix things up a bit and do this and kill him." Right. So I, I'm thinking, but it's a major Superman character. Just because you haven't got a place for him in this film, somewhere down the line. Right, yeah. save him. Right, exactly. Yeah. But now, now he's dead. You painted yourself in a corner. Yep. Yep. And it's it's just it just seems like a weird thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't disagree with you on that for sure. Uh, you Good. know, like like I said, well, many many problems yeah. with the film. You know. But, uh, you know, I walked out of it saying, oh, you know, I I walked out of it having enjoyed watching it for the most part. And I, I, you know, there were some little things that bothered me, too, though. I have to say one of the things that really killed me. um, And again, spoiler alert. But uh, at the (laughs) end where uh, Martha goes to give the ring to to Lois and she's like, he he mailed this here 
so that you could, you know, he could give it to you. And it's in like this little tiny brown envelope that just yeah. went through like the regular posted postal service. Do you know what I mean? Like with a ring inside. Yeah, I'm like, maybe you might want to put a tracking number on that. You know, maybe put some protective padding around it. I don't know. Make sure that this diamond <laughs> ring that you're mailing doesn't get lost. I've dealt with the postal service before. They're not great. You know, like it's so it's so strange. You got the feeling that that vital scenes were taken out. Right, right. Early on in the film, and then they keep that scene in, which there was no point to it. There was. Yeah, it didn't make it, any difference. No, it really didn't. We know Superman loved Lois Lane. Right, right. And it's just really weird. Yeah, it was it was definitely an odd one. And, and you know, I think that the the film definitely I, I will say this. I think it didn't have enough of Clark Kent in it, but I do like that they re emphasized the relationship between what what screen time they had was mostly spent you know, there was like three kind of good story beats where it was about Clark and Lois and the fact that they're in love and that Clark will do yeah. anything for her. And I thought that was that was nice to see um, that they sort of reemphasized that, you know, and, and did give that that side of things to them. So that the the motivations, you know, later in the film, I think, made more sense that way. So, yeah, I, I see that. But it's again, when I mentioned that it was like three or four films, that's the that's the main problem. I think like Warner Brothers and D.C., I feel like they've just been rushing to play catch up with Marvel Studios when they should have. Well, definitely. Because uh, they shouldn't. It shouldn't have been this film after Man of Steel. We should have had another Superman film. Right. Because uh, Batman vs Superman. It's eighteen months later, and everybody's going. And Superman's been doing this, changing the world, but people aren't sure. And we're getting told all this when it should have been shown. Yes, agreed. I agree that the problem yeah. is that Man of Steel didn't quite make enough money. And now that's the trouble. Yeah. You know, to pull that off, so they had to rush into adding Batman, yeah. so they could kind of guarantee. You know, the money. I, I will be curious to see, you know, there is supposed to be the R-rated cut coming out on home video in the summer. Yeah, with an extra 30 minutes. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how much of a difference that 30 minutes is going to make. Not that the film wasn't long enough as it is, but yeah. because there was so much going on and because they're trying to introduce the Justice League and all this stuff, my feeling is that having that extra half hour back in might actually improve the film. Yeah, it's that was... Oh, my thinking, yeah, I can maybe stretch out some scenes, let things breathe a bit. Right. And explain things a bit more. Exactly. So I'll be curious to see that. So we'll have to uh, report back on that once yeah. that uh, once that hits. So I, And I must say, I did quite like it when uh, we see the Flash. Yes. Yes, that was cool. From the future. I quite right. like that. That yep. was uh, that's good. I'm going gonna, gonna to be interested to see how things develop with that. Yeah. Yeah, on the whole... Uh, it's probably the best way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, I get it. And most people, I mean, if you know, if you look at the the interwebs, uh, people are not fans of it. There's a lot of vocal people out there who don't like this movie. Yeah. But uh, and and as usual, I'm the guy who you know expected to hate it, and ended up liking yeah. it. So who knows what I don't know what that means about me. I don't know what that tells you about me. But you know, <laughs> like I said, I, I liked it more than I expected to. So and as I say, Wonder Woman was great. Yeah, she was definitely one of my favorite parts of yeah. the film. I thought I thought Gal Gadot was excellent. She was great as. Diana Prince and the scenes that she was in, I thought she brought the right, you know, amount of character to it. And then Yeah, good vibe to it. Right. And then and then as Wonder Woman, she just kicked ass. So I think that her movie certainly seems like it's gonna be, you know, the one to watch out for. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Did you catch the little Chris Pine cameo since he's gonna be starring in the Wonder Woman movie? Oh, I certainly did, yes, in the photo. Yes, yes. I thought yeah. that was quite a cool little touch. That's nice though. If you haven't seen the movie, there's a photo that shows up. I won't tell you what it is, but just you'll see that Chris Pine is in it and that makes sense because he's going to be starring in the Wonder Woman movie. So that's kind of a fun little uh little treat they put in there for us um but we'll be seeing batman again though in the suicide squad film which is out in august we will yeah he's got a there's a little the film scenes of batman chasing 
the Joker and Harley Quinn. Ah, with Affleck? Uh, well, the fits, it was, it was a guy, it was a stuntman hanging off the car, but I assume Affleck's going to be filming some of the bits. It all depends whether how, how big a flashback or whether it's... Right. I'm not sure when it's set. Right. Oh, I didn't realise that. That's cool. But one thing as well, I must say, because uh, Jared Leto's playing the Joker in the, this new DC universe of movies. Right. I'm still wondering, there was a rumour going around he was going to be one of the, the Robins... Because people were talking about the suit you see in uh, the Batcave and Batman vs Superman, right. these bullet holes which seem to tally up with the scars oh. on his shot on his shot on uh, Jared Leto's shoulders when we've seen him as the Joker. Huh. And people were going, "Well, I'm not sure about that." But there was something uh, Bruce Wayne said to Alfred, and he says, uh, "All the good ones died, or they're no longer good, or something oh, like that." Right, right. Huh. Um, and think that little line just made me wonder whether they are going to have because again, it seems like Zack Snyder and David Goy seem to enjoy or whoever else is involved making these decisions, seems to enjoy twisting the comic book a little bit more. Right, sure, sure. So make, making it slightly different. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I'm not sure whether that'll be a good thing or a bad thing. But yeah, we'll I don't know either, but I guess we'll It might to... not be right, it's just... Right, right. Well, you know, the way I look at it is this is just another version of the superheroes that we like. And then, you yeah. know, 10 years from now, they'll reboot it again with a new director yeah. and a new direction. And, you know, it'll it'll be, you know, it's just like reading the comics by the different creative teams. You know, you like oh, some, exactly. you don't like others. So, you know, this wasn't it's, the one that I hoped it would be, but... Just look at it as an Elseworlds story and there you have it. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. All right, great. So there you go, Batman versus Superman. Um, lots of opinions. If you have any you want to share with us, please uh, leave some comments on our Facebook page, and we'll read out the best ones uh, in a future episode. Uh, what else going on, Phil? Anything else exciting? Uh, just a few little bits. Uh, we've got, I think it was WonderCon over the weekend, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, lots of things there, lots of trailers, uh, such as uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, showing what's going on there. Jonah Hex is popping up in there. That's the time. Right. It's a time travel show which is a spin-off from Arrow and The Flash, so they can go anywhere, do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to seeing Jonah Hex because I love the character and the film from a while back wasn't that good. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, putting it nicely. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what they do with him on the small screen because I do quite, I do think Arrow and The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, it can be a bit cheesy, but I think it does a really good job of getting the whole comic book feel across. I, I agree. I'm a big fan of all those shows and, and, you know, I guess they can be cheesy. Sure. I mean, yeah, I can't really argue that, but I, I do love them anyway. You know, they're yeah. all, they're all good fun. And it's, sometimes the things that happen in the mind just go, Oh my God, that's amazing. Right. Things right. Like that. Uh, so there was that. And also uh, some more casting news from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadows, which uh-huh. is a sequel to the film from 2014. We saw in a previous trailer, we saw that Krang is going to show up. Yep. Uh, if you're a fan of the cartoons and the comics, Krang is the the disembodied brain who goes around in the stomach of a robot body. Right. Uh, but they've announced who's voicing Krang, and it's going to be Fred Armisen. Yes. Of Portlandia and Saturday Night Live fame, mm-hmm. so I think that should be uh, quite interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, he's you know he he's such an interesting guy. He does so many different characters. It's hard to yeah. even predict what he's going to sound like yeah. because he because, can yeah. do so many voices. You know, so that that should definitely be interesting. So I'm looking for. It's funny. I the first film I didn't really think much of. Right, but this this one I'm I'm quite intrigued to to see it because it's got uh, Bebop and Rocksteady and all the things I watched as a kid. Yeah, so, yeah, and Stephen Amell as as Casey Jones should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, he's in. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, I know for a fact that my wife had no interest in seeing the first one, and she wants to see the new one because Stephen Amell is in it. So uh, <laughs> maybe that's going to be a good thing for the box office. You know. Yeah. Uh, it, it can't really be worse than the first movie, in my opinion. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it in hopes that it will be it will be better. Hopefully. Yeah. Oh, well, Stephen Amell, he was in the the news last week because him he's been producing that Code Eight. Did you see that the short yes, film? Yes. Right. Yeah. That looks mm-hmm. good. It looks like uh, what's it look like? It looks like RoboCop meets. Not Robocop. 
Robotech. Robotech, things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's got uh, it's got his cousin Robbie Amell as he stars in the short film, and you, you'll know him as Firestorm from the the CW TV shows. And it's it seems like a cross between X Men and cyborg police things chasing them down and it's it was a really good short film yeah yeah it's exciting and they hit their kickstarter or crowdfunding target to make it into a feature so watch this space for that one i quite <laughs> right, i quite right. like the sound of that one yeah definitely well i'm a big fan of of steven amell he's a really cool guy and uh, i like him a lot on arrow and, and robbie amell seems like he's pretty cool too so uh i always watch what they do with interest so i'm looking forward to that one it should yeah. be pretty cool have you got any uh, movie news from the past Well, week? Uh, more of a movie review, if you will. Okay. Um, you know, obviously we did uh, Point Break uh, a couple episodes ago as one of our After the Endings. Uh, and at that time, neither of us had seen the uh, 2015 remake of it. Oh, no. And I still and haven't. No, and I, I have now seen the remake. <gasps> oh, what's the So verdict? I thought I would uh, report back and um, tell everybody that they can save their money <laughs> because <laughs> it's pretty terrible. I, I really had hopes that it wouldn't be because I really tried to kind of just say, all right, I'm not going to think of it as Point Break. Because from the trailer, it looked like a fun kind of generic action film that just happened to be called Point Break. Yeah, with some crazy stunts and things. Right. So it sort of is like, you know, those like Warren Miller ski films or like the surfing films or skateboarding films that are like, you know, like 45 minutes long. And it's basically just like skateboarding footage set to like punk rock music. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So it's basically one of those just stretched out to two hours with a you know, a bit of a plot thrown in. You know, the biggest problem with it really is you take uh, Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves and you replace them with two basically unknown actors who have way less charisma. <laughs> and we're talking Keanu Reeves here. So, I mean, really, how how much of a stretch is that, you know? What is it? Who are the guys? The guy playing the... It's, uh, it's Edgar Ramirez plays Bodie and uh, Luke Bracey plays um, Johnny Utah. Well, Ed- Edgar Ramirez, I've seen him in... A few things, and he's always been pretty good. Yeah, he's not bad, but but yeah, when it, when it was announced, I was oh, because it was originally going to be that was it, it was going to be Gerard Butler, right? Which I think would have been better, character. actually. Yeah, he had to drop out right. for some reason. I can't remember what it was. I mean, Edgar Ramirez is certainly not a bad actor, but he doesn't have what Patrick Swayze had that made Bodie such a you know yeah such an kind of a, an endearing character. I, I understand what you mean. You know, I, I will say the action sequences are filmed beautifully. There's a lot of nice footage, you know, of sweeping film beautifully. Right. Right, right. You know, I mean, it's sweeping shots of these mountains and these waves and all this stuff and everything. But it's just it just gets more ridiculous as it goes. And I mean, and they and, you know, the characters are all the same names. You know, the the Ray Winston plays Pappas and he's a complete. Oh, yeah. I forgot he was in. How was he? Does he? Is he a match he, for Gary he phones Busey? it in. No, he's really yeah. not. I mean, Gary Busey is crazy, but he at least was you know fun to watch. Ray Winston really just clearly showed up for the paycheck. Yeah, um, and you know they even do things like the scene where he you know he fires his gun to the sky and goes no, like, but it's so I don't know. Yeah, you know, you, like if you're gonna remake a movie, you can't copy it beat for beat, which they don't. They change stuff, but somehow it's like the things they did that were the same were lame, and the things they did that they changed were lame. So the whole thing was so just, it's a whole heap of lame. Yeah, it really was. Oh, that's a shame, but not unexpected to be honest. Yeah, I wanted to to like it um, on its own merits, but it's just it's just not very good. So, uh, so for any Point Break fans out there who are thinking of watching it, uh, I mean, feel free, but just go into it knowing that it's it's not gonna. It's not great. Yeah, you seem to have the general seem to be uh, that seems to be the general feeling about the film. Yeah, well, there's a reason for that. So, yeah. I, I did wonder though when it was coming out, why why do a Point Break remake? Why not just have all these crazy stunts and cool extreme sports and just have a whole new story around it? 
to be and That's what I thought is yeah. like you just rip off Point Break. It's not like people don't do that all the time. You know what I mean? Like yeah, uh, yeah. if they had changed the character names, the story is different enough that it wouldn't have been like a complete rip. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't so yeah. so beat for beat. They changed enough of the story that they easily could have just called it, you know, I don't know, something, you know, extreme FBI or whatever, you know, and it, yeah. and people would have just said, oh, okay, that looks kind of cool, you know. What they, what they could have done was have you follow this gang of extreme sport guys, uh, well, men and women, robbing places, and we just follow them. There's no FBI or anything, and then suddenly it does like a Reservoir Dogs. You find out one of them is a yeah, is an FBI, but we don't know which one. Right. See, that would have been interesting. Right. Go that way. Already, just yeah. that you said right there, ten times more interesting yeah. than the actual film itself was. <laughs> Boom! There you go. <laughs> so that's Point Break. That's my that's my movie review for the week. So anything else we need to cover before we uh, wrap things up tonight, Phil? And just the, one last thing. I'm looking forward to James Franco. Uh, he's doing a film based on a book, which is about the making of Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Yes, you know, yes. The, the worst film. The worst book. film ever. One of the biggest cult yeah. movies of all time. Yeah. yeah. And there was a poster uh, which was released, which is exactly the same as The Room poster. And it's, but it's got James Franco, David Franco and the other people involved right i've forgotten but the that's it looks it looks scarily close to the uh to the original poster and i'm really looking forward to seeing seeing that film yeah it should be interesting now have you seen the room i haven't i keep meaning to i haven't either yeah. and i've been meaning to for a long time but it's hard to track down i know they did a home video release for it a couple of years ago but i didn't yeah i didn't get a review copy of it i know it gets played at cinemas a few times as well but i've always missed it yeah me too so that's something we'll definitely have to try and uh, check out before the the this movie comes out and i also we found out Tommy Wise. How have you pronounced his name? Wise, I think it's Wiseau. Wiseau. Okay, he's the one who wrote and directed and starred in the the room. He uh, he's also got it in his account. He's contractually obliged to star in this film that James Franco is doing as well. So he's going to have some sort of involvement. Yeah. So God knows. After seeing clips of the room and things like that, it's going to be rather interesting. Oh, Brian Cranston's also in right. this new film. <laughs> should, should be fun. Yeah. Once look how far they've got some really good actors involved in this new film. Right. Who are going to be playing actors who can't act so it's, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah it'll be interesting i think if they get the tone right it could be a really uh, really great film so I'm, I'm curious to see what they'll do with that yeah i'm looking forward to that one for sure but i think that's me for the the week's news all right great well so um so like we said uh next week we're going to be doing a, a baseball themed episode we're going to talk about the natural with robert redford hey bada, 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 bada. hey you do that pretty well for a brit not bad well you know yeah. <laughs> ferris bueller things like that of course but still <laughs> it's impressive yeah so uh, we'll be doing the natural and field of dreams two great baseball Yes. films uh if you have films you'd like to see us talk about here on the on the show drop us a line on facebook or if you have uh questions or comments for us that is facebook.com slash after the ending podcast and phil if people want to uh follow you on the internet where can they do so you can find me at liveforfilms.com and also on all the social media channels uh, just search for live for films and there i will be Excellent. And where can they find you, Mike? Well, you can uh, check me out on Facebook at facebook.com slash official, where you can learn about all sorts of writing projects that I do. And also you can check out my website, IWantMy2Dollars.com, for everything pop culture. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. As always, I am Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Hello and welcome back to After the Ending, the only film podcast. Fodcast? I don't think that's really a word. Fodcast. 
podcast. I don't even know what that would be. All right. It's for farmers. We talk about fodder. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I found that the uh, the grade 12 manure really does work better yeah, than the Yeah, it's, it's a good one. But, but what I want to know yeah. is what happens after the manure goes on. And I'm back at the HQ. Uh, Martin and the team are surrounded by NSA agents led by Abbott, who's played by... What's his name? James Lejohn. Yes, then Martin Luther King for some reason. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he did much acting. So he's working on that. Yes, yeah. he does a slam, yeah. a slam so, dunk job of it. A slam. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, oops, uh, I just banged my box. All right. Anyway. <laughs> that sounds weird. Yes, it does. Which I'd like to remind uh, our listeners is if, um, that, that, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, Sam and his friends get stuck. Whoa, there we go again. <laughs> All right. Tsunami. Yeah. <laughs> Sam and his friends get stuck in a frozen... Uh, in. Bleh. Also, what have I written there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why uh, I type everything. So Laura ends up working for NASA because they're developing uh, new... <sighs> <laughs> Uh, what else? Uh, no, that was terrible. God, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to talk. All right, so uh, that will wrap us up for this week. This is the part we always mess up. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's see if we can do it in less than 12 takes this week. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Hey, look at that. Hey, we did it. <laughs> we did it. Woohoo. <laughs> oh, I wasn't recording. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I will kill you. <laughs> After the ending.